so I was walking around greeting people, and I was talking to my friend Chuck, and um, one of my newer friends, and Chuck said to me, Mike, stay out of trouble. (laughs) And I thought to myself, but Chuck, I think a good sermon creates trouble. So I am here to create trouble for you today in getting into God's word, not stay out of trouble. Uh, We've all had a lot of various kinds of trouble. Uh, The fact that you're here, the fact that you're smiling, uh, says a lot about you. This has been an amazing grace kind of season through many dangers, trials, and snares. We have already come. Come snow, come rain. Uh, Some of our newer Bay Area friends that moved up here during COVID had no idea what they were getting into. And it's like, you know, what? I did not expect this kind of weather, this kind of stuff up here. What is going on? Uh, Fortunately, as many of my uh, more senior friends have told me, this is the worst I've seen it in 30, 35 years, whatever it is. Uh, So we've been through a lot here over the last few weeks. I hope you have uh, stayed as safe and as warm as possible. I know some of you have long driveways like I do that took a lot to plow out, and uh, some have been without heat. Some have been worried about generators and gas and all that kind of stuff. So in the midst of all that, I hope we can draw into God's word today and be refreshed and renewed by him and to experience a good kind of trouble this morning. Because I think God's word troubles us in good ways, challenges us, shapes us, molds us, shakes us up, and then sends us back out again. All right? In that, let me set the stage for you. Picture Jesus with his disciples celebrating his last supper in John's gospel. It's where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. So he's already done that in John's gospel. He spent that intimate, connectional time with his first disciples there in the upper room. And now Jesus leads his disciples through the winding uh, streets of Jerusalem, out into the Kidron Valley, And now among ancient vines, grapevines are all around, I believe, as Jesus is leading his followers, he picks up and just lifts up a little bit one of the vine branches full of grapes, and then he says this, would you please stand for God's word? He didn't say that, but I'm saying it. (laughs) Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already cleansed because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I have told you this 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. You may be seated. What Jesus shows us through this intimate image of the vine and the branches is this foundational truth. Every follower of Jesus can share that Jesus is the true vine on the adventure by remaining in him and bearing much fruit for him. Let me say that again. Every, every follower of Jesus can share that Jesus is the true vine on the adventure of life by remaining in him and bearing much fruit. Here Jesus knows that his physical presence with his precious disciples will soon end. He also knows that these followers would need a clear understanding of how to nurture their relationship with God and carry out his mission. So he consciously filled their minds with pictures and ideas to help them survive the days to come. But these same lessons also provide vital resources for preparing future generations of disciples to grow in their faith. And that's why we're here today. Wanting to be nurtured, wanting to be encouraged by him. Jesus used regular objects and customs from daily life to illustrate profound spiritual lessons. Some of these images and pictures in scripture are kind of lost or difficult for us to grasp over time. But the growing in the care of grapevines has changed little over the centuries. This image helps us to understand Jesus' use of that particular plant to illustrate the relationship he expected between himself and his disciples. As Jesus prepared his disciples to face life without his visible, physical presence, he impressed on them the importance of staying close to him spiritually. Remain in me, he says. If you've ever longed to understand the secret of spiritual growth, you will find it here in Jesus' words in John 15. But what he also points to is this. The gracious indwelling of God's presence with his people is not an invitation to settle down and ride out life storms and forget the rest of the world. It is a summons to be engaged in God's mission. For the Lord who dwells with his people intimately is also the one who leads them out missionally. So Jesus gives a parable of the vine and the branches to illustrate the meaning of the disciples' relationship with him. And here's the background. The image of the vine had basically been the central image for the people of Israel. In Isaiah 5, for instance, it says, Yet I planted, uh, it says, the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. And in uh, Jeremiah, it says, Yet I planted you as a choice vine. Later, in Hosea, it says, Israel is a luxuriant vine. And in Psalm 80, probably the most uh, central image, it says, you, God, brought a vine out of Egypt and planted them and delivered them to be in a new place. 
Again and again, the vine, a vine, is used as an image for Israel. So much so that during the revolt of the Maccabees that occurred before Jesus' time, a few hundred years, that the coins that they minted to basically have coinage that was separated from Roman coinage had a vineyard image on it. And if you went to the temple in Jesus' day, there was a big golden vine that trailed over the front of the temple. The vine became the symbol for Israel. But sadly, most often when it's used in the Old Testament, it's showing that it is lacking in some way. It's not producing what God hoped. It's not bearing the fruit, uh, the types of grapes that, that God would want. And so in contrast to the people of Israel who had failed to fulfill God's mission of, of reaching the nations, Jesus now picks up a branch full of grapes and says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. Jesus goes on to show his role as the, as the vine. He says he cleanses us through the word he has spoken. He remains in us. He is the one who will make us more fruitful. And he loves us ultimately as the Father has loved him. The parable then begins with another of the I am statements of John. There have been seven of them. And we're reaching the end of those statements. Jesus has already said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus again and again has pointed to his identity in the Greek as the ego eimi, the I am God, now incarnate. And he's saying, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. In this image, Jesus is saying he is our source of vitality and life. He is the one that fills us and empowers us. He is the one that intimately and organically nurtures a fullness of life within us. John Calvin says in Jesus' statement, I am the true vine, that the essence of this comparison is that by nature, in contrast to him, we are barren and dry except insofar as we have been grafted into Christ and draw a new power from him outside ourselves. Christ chiefly insists that the vital sap flows only from himself. It follows then that human nature is unfruitful and totally lacking in anything good apart from the true vine, Jesus. He's saying, I am truly the vine. I am truly the source of life that you are looking for. And people who seek strength anywhere else apart from me are working in vain. Useful. Godly fruit will only come from branches produced in and through me. So in contrast to the the vineyard or vine symbol for Israel that had been unfruitful, Jesus is saying, if you connect with me, you will be fruitful and you will experience a fullness of life. Just as he is the bread and the light, he is our source of vitality, of truth, of, of, a, of a life that is different and greater in quality in comparison to any other. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine as opposed to any other source of life or vitality that we might seek. The picture here then isn't just a clever illustration from gardening. It's about Jesus and his people and who they and we really are and what is now going to happen as a result. You see, Jesus' desire is to meet you, to know you, to fill you, and, 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 and complete you. The principal image, then, of Jesus as the vine is that we would tap in and so root ourselves in him that we find new life, 
We find a life that, that doesn't run out. We find a life that is not dry and weary in comparison. We find a life that is actually full and rich. And that fullness is also about mission. You see, when we are filled with Jesus, we want to go and share the good news of Jesus. And while the Israelites had experienced the blessings and, of, of God and his presence with them, you know, through the desert wandering in various seasons, they had not produced the kind of fruit missionally for God that impacted the nations. But what Jesus wants now is for his people to tap into him and to bear fruit from him. God doesn't rescue us from, for us uh, from sin and death and separation from God just for us. He wants to do that so that we would bear fruit for him and his kingdom, so that others can come to know the new life that is found in Christ. And so in contrast to a branch that would separate themselves from the the source and the, the vine of God, the life of God, Jesus becomes the obedient son who is so tapped into intimacy and identity with the father that he is able to fully complete the mission of God in his living a perfect life and in his dying and sacrifice in his death on the cross. What Israel failed to accomplish, God does through Jesus. Sadly, though, we can be like the people of Israel. We can miss out on the fullness of life that God intends for us to have, or we can fail to be, to be fruitful in our life with God. Sometimes that can come through a lack of proper nourishment. We're not taking in what we need to. You may have noticed my 10-year-old kid is as skinny as a rail. And it's like, Levi, you got to eat, dude. You, got, you need nutrients. You, you got you to eat so that you can go and use that energy and go you know, run and do the things you enjoy doing. Similarly, spiritually, if we're not taking in the, the nutrients of God's word and spirit and, and nurturing that life through prayer, we are not going to be fueled in such a way that we can go out and, and serve God's purposes. We're going to run out of energy. Similarly, we can experience uh, disease as branches. And that can be as a result of ongoing sin or perhaps unresolved past issues which will lead to spiritual ineffectiveness. We've all seen in our, uh, you know, in our area branches that were not healthy that have now been knocked down by storms, wind, rain, and now snow. Similarly, the wind and rain, the snow, the the, the struggles with life that we encounter, those things are going to separate us from God, perhaps break us apart. And in that fall, that branch, often what we see is not only does the branch fall, but it breaks apart, right? And it sort of blows up when it hits the ground. God does not want you to blow up. He actually wants you to remain attached to him and to bear fruit for him. Some branches might be immature. We need time to grow. And growth may involve suffering. We're going to talk more about this. There can be hardship in life. And those experiences that colloquially we will say either make us or break us. Those experiences that either draw us deeper in intimacy with God because we know how much we need him. Or we look to other sources of life and vitality and we separate ourselves from him in our immaturity. We can experience improper pruning. What I mean by that is our priorities and the focus of our energies may be guided by Christ in his word in a good way or 
we can seek our, to, to find our way through our own godly, or our own wisdom and desires that isn't from God. In other words, we can allow our culture to shape us and our viewpoint. We can allow circumstances and situations to prune us. And all of a sudden, attending worship, participating in worship is just, you know, it's just something I don't feel like I need in my life. God's word can be something that, uh, you know, it's just growing, the Bible's growing dust on the shelf and, and not, you know, feeding me and sustaining me. We can have a sort of improper priorities and plans. We may li- try to live life without a gardener. And that can be resistance to God's guidance and pruning. We're going to talk about the fact that pruning is painful. But if we don't have somebody molding us and shaping us who is good and has good plans and designs for us, if we don't have a gardener, we try to mold and shape our own lives, we will not produce the kind of fruit that God wants to us to experience. Simply put, we can become separated from the vine. And instead of rooting ourselves in the sustaining love and presence of God, we can try to go it alone. But if we do, God says, Jesus says here, we will bear no fruit. Instead, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Sacrificial, agape in the Greek, love, is the love that God shows us in Jesus and the love that we are meant then to show other people. As the Father has loved Jesus, we are to go and love others in sacrificial ways. And man, this has been a difficult season over the last couple weeks for sure, but it has been an experience that has been ripe with the possibilities for showing sacrificial love. Some of you have dug another church member out of their driveway. Some of you have called to check in on them. One church member in the lobby had just said, you know, I, I, I didn't feel like I could be helpful. And then he went on to tell me how he'd been calling people and encouraging people. What were you doing when you called them? You were encouraging them. You were helping them know that they were not alone and somebody was thinking about them. The church has been on the move over the last couple of weeks. We haven't been dormant. There hasn't been a time. This hasn't been a time where we're not bearing fruit for God's kingdom. What I have seen among you is you have been active and alive, looking out for one another and allowing the love of Jesus Christ, sacrificial love, to, to be shown on your branch. You've been bearing fruit through Jesus and his call and ability to empower you and equip you to serve. And friends, that's sacrificial. When Jesus says, I have loved you with the kind of love the Father has shown me, his ultimate expression of love is coming. And his death on the cross is taking on the pain and agony of separation from God. We might say, for that brief instance, Jesus became that branch broken off from the intimacy of the Father to reconnect us, to restore that vital relationship with him in a way that only he can Here's the second part, though. Just as Jesus is the vine and he plays that role of loving us and enabling us to bear fruit, we also see the Father's activity as the gardener. And it says that the Father cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. He prunes us to be even more fruitful, and he will give whatever you ask for in my name. Jesus says God is the gardener. He's the cultivator of the vine and the branches. And in order to achieve the best productivity and fruitfulness, we need the loving attention of a gardener. 
Wild vines that just grow without being shaped and molded will not bear the kind of fruit and quality or quantity that God desires. Producing fruit is ultimately God's work of molding us and shaping us, giving us clarity on what our mission is to go and bear fruit for him, and also allowing that process to occur in our own lives. The father plays different roles in this way. The negative one we could say is he cuts off branches that don't bear fruit. And we could see that in branches that have broken off from trees all around our area. What this shows us is that God doesn't want to waste resources on those spaces and places and people that are unproductive. Rather, he wants us to be fruitful and to experience that intimate connection with him. So what does he do to accomplish that? It says he prunes us so that we will be even more fruitful. He actually takes things out of our life that can preoccupy us, and sometimes those things are are, are evil, things that are sinful and, and enabling us to overcome addictions and, and uh, things of, you know, that are sinful or evil in nature. Other times, he actually removes things that in and of themselves are good, but they're the enemy of the best. And so God will actually take something that is good out of our lives in order to, for us to experience what is best in our lives. This might be, uh, you know, some ability to, you know, for recreation. There have been times when, um, you know, I haven't been able to, to do some activity or something and, and in order to have uh, God slow me down. And this was amazing this last week in the way God's word speaks to us. We've been in Job, for those who have been reading through the Bible in the year, and I believe it was Job 37. All of a sudden it said, God sends his rain and his snow on the earth so that you are not able to work. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. I wanted to work. I was ready to work. And I kept getting snowed in. And it's God just saying, you just need to rest, dude. Catch your breath. There's going to be opportunities to connect with God's people soon. And I just want you to rest and be renewed in this time. And rest up and be refilled and then ready to re-engage. God's word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it causes us trouble like we started with. And it troubled me by helping me to see that my priorities were off, that I was, you know, giving too much and needed to just be in a place of receiving once again and experience that nurturing and encouraging so that I could serve once again in healthy ways. And friends, sometimes that is through God taking away something good or uh, it can be, you know, something evil. You know, he helps us overcome an addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it might be. There are those things that God wants to cut off from our lives so that we can experience something better. And friends, sometimes it's really painful And and in the mystery of life, there can be experiences of grief and loss where where God separates us from a loved one, family member, or friend in their death. And it is so confusing. But even in that time of grief, I believe God's wanting to draw us in to him in greater ways. And in the midst of the mystery of his, his life and his timing, which I do not understand, sometimes that pruning comes in that way. But what happens in that experience? It becomes an opportunity to grow in greater dependency on God. 
in 2004, uh, many of you know that uh, Beth and I experienced the death of our daughter, Kylie. And uh, she died in January 2004, and uh, we were a mess. I just did not understand uh, God's timing in taking her home. Even in the midst of her disabilities at the age of eight, her life was not going to be easier over time. Uh, But it still was a shock, and and we did not understand what God was up to at the time. Uh, What I did, along with prayer and just trying to, you know, stay connected as a branch to the vine of Jesus, was I needed to just kind of run it out. And, And what I started to do was go on these runs, and in Santa Rosa, where I was at the time, it only took me about a half mile before I was in vineyards. And over that course of a year, uh, some of you know, um, I decided to run a marathon and because I just needed to work out my grief physically. And over a little over a year after Kylie's death, I completed the Napa Marathon and uh, as just a way of working out my grief. But uh, Jeff, if you could point, put that picture up of the, the branches, this is what they looked like largely um, you know, when, when I started the process of, of running. And, and here's the thing I noticed uh, as the months went on there, especially that first winter. I was shocked at how much the, the, the vines were cut back. I mean, they were just like cut back to the nub. And I remember running through the vineyards during that season and looking at those just, you know, cut back vines with no branches And just thinking how that is how I felt spiritually and internally at the time. I felt like there is no possible good that can come out of this. There is no possible fruit that could be born through this experience. I am just, you know, cut down, cut off, and and in this place of loss. But what I noticed spiritually for me, what was happening as I saw it externally in these, these vines was slowly but surely it started to grow back. Slowly but surely, they started to, to bud, and new, new branches started to form over time. And, and in that time frame, over the course of the year, while I was running through those vineyards, and as I was crying out to God, and as I was just wrestling with him over what had happened to our daughter, I saw new growth come about. I saw new growth physically in those vineyards, and, and I saw grapes exploding off of branches. And I saw new fruit being born in my life. Fruit that was different from fruit that had been born before, but fruit that was of a deeper quality in my life. Character. The fruit of the Spirit, I think, is not only the mission of God and seeing people come to Jesus and accept him and become branches attached to that vine, but the fruit here is also the fruit of the Spirit. God's shaping purpose in our life where we experience uh, and Jeff, if you could put up Galatians 5, 22 to 23, where we experience the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We experience those qualities or fruits of the Spirit that God wants to nurture inside of us. And guess what I have found in my life? Love of agape quality, unconditional love, does not come in easy circumstances. Patience, mostly born as a parent over time when I am incredibly frustrated with my kids. Peace, nurtured through those experiences that by themselves are not peaceful, but they're nurtured a peace within me. Faithfulness comes through following God over 
difficult circumstances. Self-control occurs when you are ready to just blow your top. And yet somehow God nurtures a quality and character within you that is different from what externally you are going through. To be a branch and to encourage our receptivity as a branch. John's got, Jesus says many things here. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. He says first that we have to be pruned to be more fruitful. And I want to say again, pain, it is a painful but necessary process. Our receptivity as a branch comes as we're pruned and we're molded and we're shaped. The character and the qualities that God wants to nurture within us comes when God is shaping us in that painful process of molding and shaping our lives for long-term health and long-term productivity. It takes, our receptivity as a branch takes being cleansed by God's word. This is why we encourage you to read through the Bible through the year. Modify it for what works for you. I'm reading through the Old and New Testament. My family's just going through the Gospels. And we're in the middle of Luke and we're going to read through the Gospels during Lent. But allow God's word to purify your mind and shape your purposes. Allow it to do its cleansing work in your life. There is so much there with social media, so much imagery out there on the internet. We need our minds and our hearts cleansed by God's word in a continual basis. We need to remain in relationship with Jesus, number three. As a branch to a vine, apart from him, he tells us we can do nothing. We need that union relationship. Brother Lawrence, in his book, Practicing the Presence of God, talked about he had this continual awareness of God's presence with him. It wasn't that he had his quiet time in the morning. Okay, I got my 15 minutes in with God, check the box. Now the rest of my day is separated and apart from him, has nothing to do with that. No. Brother Lawrence figured out how to like wash dishes in, in the, the convent that he was in, uh, in a monastery, uh, in order to just experience that intimate union. And the washing of dishes would be a sign of his fruitfulness. I got the dishes done for my brothers today. And some of you, over the last couple weeks, if you got the dishes done, if you washed the laundry, if you made a meal in, your, in whatever way you could make a meal when you did not have electricity... You did a lot. You accomplished a lot. But remaining in him is this quality where we're doing things with Jesus, not just for Jesus. And when we're serving in the midst of trying to do things for Jesus instead of experiencing life and intimacy with Jesus, friends, that's where we burn out and where our energy runs out. We need to be renewed by him and to experience the life-giving sap of the Holy Spirit again and again in order to continually serve God. Bruce Wilkinson, in his book, Secret of the Vine, said, God didn't want me to do more for him. He wanted me to be more with him. Let me say that again. God didn't want me to do more for him. He wanted me to be more with him. But we can be with him as we're accomplishing tasks, as we're engaging in mission and sharing the good news with, with others. All those activities can be ways we experience continual relationship with him. We're having our Mexico banquet uh, to, today. We're having lunch. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Dan, I was just watching him yesterday. And, and instead of just doing what he was doing, he was taking time to, to pretty clearly show my son Josh how to do those things. He wasn't just doing it for him. 
He was, he was watching Joshua and helping Josh accomplish those tasks. There was relationship happening in the process. Not a separation of, okay, I'm going to do this while you sit over there. No, it was that we're going to do this together. And I watched Josh engage and, and be productive in accomplishing tasks. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus wants to do with us. Fourth, he says he wants us to bear much fruit by remaining in Jesus. Again, we can do nothing apart from him. We need to remain. And the Greek word there is meno, which means to remain, stay, or abide. It is that intimate and organic connection that we, that where we will experience fruitfulness and more fruitfulness because of that intimacy and connection. Sometimes people have felt like, wait, you know, uh, I, yeah, I'm praying for people right now, but I'm not doing anything. One of my pastoral mentors said, prayer is doing something in praying for people, and it is actually doing the most important thing. Praying for people is tapping into God's resources and how God wants to reveal himself in that person's life, not based on us and our limited activity. To pray is to nurture ourselves in that remaining, abiding relationship with, us, with Jesus, and that is the key and the secret to bearing fruit. Fifth, we can show ourselves to be his disciples by bearing fruit. We glorify God. We show who we are by our character and the way we, we uh, operate in given situations. I already talked about the fruit of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace. Those qualities and characteristics shine light on who God is and his presence in us. It's that place in your work where you're ready to just, you know, lay into a coworker because you're so mad. And instead, you're patient. It's that neighbor who (laughs) hasn't shoveled their part of the driveway or the road. And you're like, can you do your part? Because I've already done mine. And instead you go out and you take your shovel and you start shoveling theirs. It's making more food and sharing that food with other people rather than thinking, I'm just going to take care of myself. We shine light on who God is by that connection with Jesus and, and reflecting being his disciples. Six, we are to remain in his love by obeying his commands. Obeying uh, is not a, a meant, to, meant to be dry, not meant to be something we do apart from him. Our obedience is meant to be a reflection of our relationship with him. We bear fruit in relationship with Jesus, and obedience becomes a reflection of that love. God doesn't tell us to obey apart from his love. He tells us to obey and respond positively to his love as we experience it again and again and again. Seventh, we're to love each other as Jesus has loved us. We already talked about how that is sacrificial in nature, but the point here is it is also the source of joy. When we sacrifice for others, when we love one another in a sacrificial way, that is the pathway to the fullness of joy that we haven't experienced apart from that. Eighth, we're to lay down our lives for our friends. And that's what Jesus is about to do for these core followers. And that's what he's done for you and for me. He laid down his life for you his friend, so that you may know life in him. Ninth, he wants you to experience friendship with Jesus. I love this. He doesn't want you to be a slave. He doesn't want you to be a servant, just doing his will, obeying his commands. He wants to experience intimate friendship with you that leads to fruit bearing. My hope and dream for our eight-person mission team going to Mexico is that they experience friendship in the process. And and we've got some friends here that have been on these Mexico mission trips before. I have been on these trips before. And I could say that lifelong friends 
were nurtured in the process of accomplishing God's mission. That there was a partnership in the gospel that we experienced when we built that house and we handed the keys to that family or when we led the vacation Bible school for uh, you know, kids in Mexico, they were able to see and experience the love of Jesus for the first time. And the relationships that were built on mission together are unlike any other. Unlike any other relationships I've ever experienced. There's a friendship that we experience with God and with others as we go out and fulfill his mission together. And tenth and lastly, we are chosen to go and bear fruit that will last. Jesus does not want us to bear limited fruit. He doesn't want us to bear fruit that uh, will uh, wither or die. It's not like the, the banana that is already ripe and it's about to go brown. No, he wants us to bear fruit that will last. And he's chosen you for that. The task of God's mission is to encourage and nurture that relationship and intimacy but with him, but also to go out and to shine out God's light into the world so other people can experience that. One of my heroes, and I'll start to wrap up with this, is Hudson Taylor. He started China Inland Mission. In the midst of Hudson Taylor's book, Spiritual Secret, he said this about his own relationship with God and ability to bear fruit for God. He said, Here I feel is the secret, not asking how I am to get sap out of the vine into myself, but remembering that Jesus is the vine, the root, the stem, the branches, the twigs, the leaves, the flowers, fruit, all indeed. I, he is far more too. He is the soil, the sunshine, the air, and the rain, more than we could ask, think, or desire. I have not got to make myself a branch, he said. The Lord Jesus tells me I am a branch. I am a part of him. And have just to believe it and act upon it. I'm going to invite Dan to come up and the worship teams leading the next song. Uh, as they come up and as we kind of enter into this song that is meant to be meditative in nature. It's one of these songs that you're hearing it perhaps for the first time. Unless you've heard it on Caleb or whatever. But the, the purpose of this song is just to create space for you to be in the presence of God. And for you to receive from him. But before they lead us in this song, I want to share something that uh, came to me when I was in seminary. It was at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and it was one point in my seminary educational journey where I was learning more about God, but I wasn't growing in my relationship with God. And in the Fuller Prayer Garden, they had John 15, 1, I am the vine, you are the branches, Father's the gardener. And I remember sitting there in the prayer garden And one day this came to me, and it was a letter written from Jesus to me, and perhaps it's written to you today. I invite you to close your eyes for this, if they're not closed already, (laughs) the length of the sermon, and hear these words. Take time to be a branch. Stop worrying about the size of fruit you bear. And receive the life-giving sap that I, as the vine, have to offer you. Fruit will come in its season, but you will always be attached to me. Remember that it is not the fruit that gives you life, but me. The roots and the stem are me, and they shall sustain you. While the fruit is the produce of who you are, it is your connection to me that creates your identity. For winter is a season also, a time when wind and rain and storm will come, and no fruit will seem to be born. Only remain connected to me in this time, 
Do not allow yourselves to be broken off from me. For there is the temptation to fall away. They become immersed in the refuse on the ground. In this fall, you will only become more broken. Yet in remaining in me, you will be whole. And in the springtime, after the snow and the wind and the rain have tested and formed you, the ripe, delicious fruit will be born again on your branch. This fruit is the result of our work together, of our remaining connected together. For apart from me, you cannot bear fruit of the color and taste that is best. Remember, I will always be here for you, O little branch, for my love for you is rooted deeply. Only remain in me, and you shall see what beautiful fruit we will bear on your branch. Signed, your true vine, Jesus. Amen. Holy Spirit, come rest on us. You're all we want. You're all we want, yeah. Come rest on us. I know you 